0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: It's Thursday evening, and you know what that means—it's time for another rendition of Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America. Mike Bosich joined by Mike Carter, and well, I'm—you uh, know—we get this—we get this wrong all the time, Mike. I'm Mike Carter. You're Mike Bosich. I think we're gonna get it right eventually, and uh, we got a fantastic, fantastic show. We got some touching uh, tributes that we're gonna do as well, and uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun, Mike.
2: Yeah, it certainly is. We've got uh, a 9/11 segment that we have put together that we're going to hear later on in this program. It's uh, a tribute from uh, a tribute to 9/11, of course, September 11, 2001, the days that the planes uh, crashed into the World Trade Center and the uh, the Pentagon, and and we got uh, a lot of reactions uh, from horsemen across the country, uh, from track announcers, from harness racing personalities, uh, of where they were that particular day and what they can remember from that day and kind of what was Going through their hearts, uh, some very touching stories, some good reactions, and uh, we're going to hear that a little bit later on in the show. It's about a 15, 20 minute segment. We heard from about fifteen different people, so don't go anywhere. It's uh, it's a great great listen, and uh, I certainly can't wait for it. Mike. It was uh, it was. I, I want to I do want to say, Mike, it was fun to put together, but I'll tell you what, a couple times you had to stop and really uh, take a couple of deep breaths because when you hears when you hear People's recollections of that day. You know, you have to you have to step back and and uh, just think about the severity of that day and what truly happened, Mike. Boy, just just like it was yesterday.
1: Yeah, definitely, and. uh... Uh, I listened to that segment uh, last night uh, as you sent it to me, and, you know, you're right. It is a definite, definite tearjerker that you're not going to want to miss, but we're also going to talk to trainer John Butenskoen, who had a big day at Harris, Philadelphia, your hometown, uh, Mike Bozich, with two winners in the Pennsylvania Sire Stake Championship Day for two-year-olds, and uh, he'll talk about his growing stable and some of the up-and-coming horses that he has, and Mike, an interview that we always have fun with, Roger Houston celebrates his 50th little brown jug this year
2: yeah john booten shane mike is uh, a terrific trainer he was uh, uh used to train horses in chicago uh back where uh, where i was from where i grew up actually in the racetracks out there and and he's put together a nice little stable out east he's really had a reputation uh of you know being nurturing and very good with young horses and he had a very big day back on sunday Uh, where uh, Harris, Philadelphia, hosted the two-year-old Pennsylvania Sire Stakes Championships, had a couple of real nice winners. So we'll talk to John about that. Uh, And also another very special guest, Mike, that we're going to have around 7.15 or so, Dom Rabello, And if the name isn't familiar, he owned horses uh, quite a while back. Uh, Bruce Saunders was his trainer. Uh, He uh, is since out of the game, however... He's kind of uh, going to participate in our 9-11 theme here, Mike, because he was actually at ground zero when the planes hit. So we're going to talk to Dom about that experience, another interview you're not going to want to miss. And, of course, uh, Roger Houston will be talking about his 50 years as the voice of the Little Brown Jug. Just lots going on. John Bootenchain is next on this edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America. We'll be right back. Get
1: a huge boost to your bankroll for all of summer's best racing at Bet America. All new players can double their first deposit up to $300 with Bet America's 100% deposit bonus. That's the biggest sign up bonus in the industry. Sign up today and start playing the Bet America way. The New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program places retired racehorses into approved, monitored homes and transitions them into second careers. New Vocations has placed over 350 retired Standardbreds the past three years. They are now accepting horses from all racetracks in the United States. New Vocations has facilities in Ohio, Kentucky, and Pennsylvania, and is expanding to New York. To learn more, visit newvocations.org and on Facebook at New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program.
3: Uh, Carter and Mike Bozich joining you and we're now joined by John of Buton Shane and John you had a fantastic day uh, on September 11th uh, winning with Fine Tune Lady and uh, give it gas and go. Talk to us a little bit about the uh, trip Fine Tune Lady had.
4: Uh, We've been trying to race this mare a little bit from off of the pace but she's such a handy. just been a nice little mare. I mean a lot of her lines she's been out on the front end and she's been getting beat the four starts that she had by like a total of uh, a half a length. It had no we were cutting miles for everybody else and but the pulse position draw come out, we were outside a little bit again. Unfortunately for uh Tron's Philly and Charlie Norris Philly, who I thought were too too well the uh, the top horses in there, uh, happened to make breaks. So we did get to the front a little bit easier. And what we were hoping and the way the track was playing, I thought we needed to be up close. And uh, she gutted it out. She gutted it out and hung on. And um, I couldn't have been happier. So.
2: Yeah, fine-tuned ladies certainly look good, John. Mike Bozich here, and uh, and right uh, the very next, uh, or actually a little bit uh, beforehand in uh, race nine was uh, Give It, Gas, and Go, and another horse that uh, the Captain Corey Callahan was able to brush to the front, had the lead by the half at 56-4, and four, went on to win, holding off uh, the upset hopes of Moonshine or Hanover. But uh, really, in that particular race, John Muscles, Jared, who, a horse that we've heard a lot about, uh, over the past, uh, month or so, uh, you know, he's really done great things on the racetrack, came first over and, and I'll tell you what, uh, give it gas and go, looked him right in the eye and, uh, shunned that challenge. It certainly had to be excited.
0: Yeah.
4: He kind of gutted it out. It was a little tough in that race there. I had three horses in and I was trying to follow all of them. And, um, it was, it was quite exciting and kind of worked out the way the trip did. I think if any of my Colts would have got away on top, uh, they might have been the one that win or if they would have any of them had to have been the one first up like muscle Garrett was muscle Garrett might have won that race. And, uh, you know, we could have been third or fourth with ours. It just, uh, we got lucky. We got lucky. We got to the top with one of them Colts and the way things worked out, uh, we, we picked up a good chunk being first, third and fifth in there. And, uh, same thing there. I couldn't have been any happier with the results there. If you would have told me going into the day, uh, what we were going to do, I'd have been, uh, do on backflips and somersaults all the way down the length of that stretch there.
3: So. Now, Don, let's uh, dive into your stable a little bit more. You have a horse uh, that just came out of the Yonkers uh, trot final in the name of Hit It Out of the Park. Uh, he didn't have the best of luck at the Meadows and Pennsylvania Sire Stakes final, uh, but really looked sharp coming in off, the, uh, off a tough trip in the Colonial.
4: Yeah, we were very disappointed in the effort that the little horse put forth. Usually he's a horse that, I mean, we never expect not to get a check with him. He's just been the model of ultra consistency from day one. Uh, unfortunately, he grew outside here at Yonkers in them two starts, but we did get into the final, and he did pick up a nice check for us in the final. I don't know that we could have been any better than maybe third if we had drawn different And uh, we scoped him. We were concerned because he just didn't have his normal pop and grit to him. And we scoped him. He had some irritation and redness in the trachea after the race there. And uh, would displace his palate pretty easy. So we're not so certain that he might not have uh, choked a little bit and lost his air at some point, either behind the gate or early in the mile there. And it might have been what the cause was there, a little bit of sickness or virus and lame throat. I mean, i how it is if a person or a little kid or whatever gets a sore throat, it hurts to even swallow a glass of water. So when these horses are expected to perform at the level we're asking them, and they're breathing in that air, it's uh, it can be quite irritating. And if they happen to displace or lose the ability to just spell the
2: Visiting live with John Dunne, Shane uh, Trainer. That's that's fine, Trainer, with a lot of different horses. Now, John, I'm going to interrupt you for a second because uh-huh. I'm an old Chica- I'm an old Chicago guy. <laughs> and uh was uh, born and raised, uh, my dad took me to the racetrack at uh, Balmoral Park and Maywood and Hawthorne and Sportsman's. Uh, gosh, three of those tracks now are RIP. Um, tell us a little bit about your early career, uh, maybe about those days, and uh, kind of how you got started in the business.
4: Uh, Really got started in the business. I mean, everybody asks how we've done it. We, I was born in Ringo, Illinois there, and we were raised on um, – grain farm, my dad and my uncle, we had like six they had like sixteen hundred acres, so I grew up with uh wheat and corn and soybeans and my dad and his buddy got drunk one night and they decided that they thought it'd be cool to own a race horse and the one fellow Dave Samuelson who races still races in Chicago there. Yep. Uh just a few horses he owned a t local tavern. He said, Well I can just fix you right up with that so they marched into Maywood Park in nineteen seventy five and claimed a horse off a Jerry grandmother named L J Sterling. Um and Roger Welch's dad, Bob Welch, was our trainer. The horse finished second in his first start. The whole family was there. And needless to say, I was hooked. Uh, Roger was my age, and we grew up together. Went down to Florida after high school, and I worked for uh, four years in, went in the winter at Pompano and uh, three summers working for Delvin Miller. And that's how I met my wife out at the farm there around the Meadows. Her dad run the original Bancroft farm where Delvin grew up. Uh, wow. And then it was a matter of once we got married, where were we we going to settle there? The metals are in Illinois. At that point, uh, the racing was pretty strong in Illinois. We had a family farm that my parents were willing to let us put a barn and a training track on. So that's kind of how we ended up there and stayed there for 23 years. <laughs> wow. So, uh, things worked now, out. And Kate graduated from school, and we left him and went to Florida and
3: Pennsylvania. <laughs> yep. Now, John, now, you've got a very strong two-year-old gelding that I want to ask you about, and the, I promised Mike Bozic, I wouldn't screw this name up, okay? It's <laughs> Funk and Waffles, and this horse is six for seven lifetime, seven for seven on the board, 120,000 in the bank this year, a mark of 52-1. and one. How special is this horse?
4: he's a really nice horse actually i'm sitting outside talking to you of the paddock at yonkers and my boys on the tracks are going out to warm him up after the first race he's in the last leg of the fire six here tonight um he's just he's a horse that is the epitome of what a standard bred is i mean he's not very big i mean he's actually very small um but he's just a gritty little horse we thought that we had a shot when we got him ready to qualify it's going to be okay um qualified really well we threw him in the excelsior series he raced really good give him a few more tries in there and we were kind of floored by his effort up in tioga so we thought well let's try the big boys and every time we've asked him he's kind of stepped up and stepped up and stepped up so uh, he's just been nothing but a pleasure to be around and uh, what a gritty little animal he is so we're hoping for a little bit of luck here tonight with uh our race and going into the final next sun saturday here at yonkers hopefully we'll we can repeat, you know, I can have a kind of day that we did at uh, Chester the other day.
2: John, before we let you go, uh, obviously you've built uh, a, a pretty strong stable. a lot of young horses involved. Uh, and uh, obviously your son Tyler's involved, but uh, there are some others also. Why don't you give us some props to uh, some of the people that work behind the scenes that uh, make the boot and chain stable what it is?
4: Well, it's a whole good group. I mean, it starts right with, uh, it starts with the help, but if without uh, owners to supply me with the horses, uh, the help wouldn't have jobs, and neither would I. And I've picked up some very good owners from out east here, and uh, I've had some that have stuck with me through the years that came out from Illinois. Uh, got a married couple of Todd and Meg Crone that uh, came out from Illinois and worked for me. My son Tyler has been an invaluable asset. Uh, we picked up this past winter and this spring. To work for us, uh, Dallas and Andy Miller, that Miller's a uh, mom, and that would also make them be David Miller, that and Uncle, um, along with a couple of the grooms I have that came with me from Chicago, uh, uh Dario Cano and Julio Lopez, and they've been with me every step of the way. And I mean, they're just if I hire somebody new, I just tell them to stay out of their way because they know what they're doing and what's expected. And it's real easy for me to walk in my barn every morning because I'd I know everybody's going to be there, um, and then I've got one person that I never did hire, but I can never get rid of her from the Barnum girl by the name of Alexa Thomas, and she's headed to vet tech school uh, yep. when she's trying to better things. And uh, she works; she she just works. <laughs> never hired her, but never fired her, so we decided we started paying her a couple of years ago. So, <laughs> but that is well, a whole collaboration. You know, they all showed up yeah. tested her. they were all happy. So, it, well, it's that, a good group I got.
2: That's awesome. Well, John, listen, we really appreciate you joining us, my friend. Best of luck to the John Boot and Shane Stable in 2016 and beyond.
4: Yeah, and I got to say hi to my wife, too. I forgot about her.
2: <laughs> well, hey, you better she not forget, forget that. So go ahead. I know. She's done that.
4: She's in been I she's somewhere in uh, North Carolina with her girlfriend.
2: Uh, oh, <laughs> Mrs. Boot and Shane, from all of us at Post Time with Mike and Mike, happy birthday. We appreciate you joining all us, John. Thank you, buddy.
4: All right. Thank you.
2: All right, that was John Booten Shane, trainer of uh, a lot of great horses, including Funkin' Waffles. But uh, Mike, it was a great day that he had on Sunday. I mean, two good horses. They uh, each won a uh, hundred. Uh, well, the purse was two hundred and fifty thousand, so they take home one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars apiece. So not a bad day for the booten Shane stable. Who, by the way, Mike was always very, very good with young horses. Even going back to the Chicago days, was uh, very, very good with young horses.
3: Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's got a very, very strong stable, and I, I got to tell you, like this horse, uh, Funkin' Waffles, could definitely uh, be the next uh, next big thing. This horse has put in a couple of fifty-two miles, and the race at Batavia uh, last time out, Mike, uh, went in fifty-four and two, so it's no slouch uh, over that half-mile oval. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of uh, stock he's got going into uh, the Breeders' Crown this year and maybe next year.
2: Well, we're talking nine eleven uh, when we come back. Dom Rabello is going to be joining us, uh, and uh, longtime uh, horse owner, and he's going to tell us a little bit about his story of nine eleven. Plus, we've got uh, the big September eleventh tribute uh, that's going to come up later on in the show. Roger Houston is going to be joining us near the bottom of the hour. He has been the voice of the Little Brown Jug for fifty years, and we'll live uh, some Little Brown Jug memories and. Uh, What's going to happen here in 2016? we got Post Time with Mike and Mike presented by Bet America. Back in a flash. Embroidery Unlimited is a premier provider of quality embroidery, screen printing, and promotional products. Our commitment to quality and pride in our work is second to none. We focus on quality and customer service. For all of your stable or business needs, Embroidery Unlimited is the number one provider in harness racing. Give Chip Winsky a call at 508 485 5522. That's 508 485 5522. Or visit them on the internet at embroideryunl.com. That's embroideryunl.com. Embroidery Unlimited. Here at The Stable, our mission is to provide fair market for owners of yearlings while giving investors the most informative way to purchase all of or part of a horse. The Stable will cater to all budgets by having an open fractional buying market and a flat rate billing system. At The Stable, we aim to minimize the risk in buying and maximize the benefit of selling. Visit thestable.ca or give Anthony McDonald a call at 519-400-4263 that's 519-400-4263 it's the stable .ca post time with Mike and Mike Rolls-On presented by Ben America, Mike Bozich alongside of Mike Carter and right now we're joined by Dom Rabello. Dom we certainly appreciate you joining us my friend uh, and before we get uh, into the September 11th uh, 2001 details uh, your former horse owner tell us a little bit about uh, your background and your experience in the industry
5: well I was a commodity floor broker on the New York futures exchange and the I always wanted to own horses and uh, used to go to Roosevelt and Yonkers a lot in the 1970s and loved horses. And uh, I finally earned enough money where I could actually buy some. And uh, in the late 80s uh, to about 2002, I was able to buy about 60 of them over the years.
3: Now, Dom, uh, talk to us about a couple of the horses maybe that you would have had that kind of stood out to you uh, when you were uh, owning them back in those days.
5: Oh, yeah, I had uh, his royal badness, uh, Ella Mae Hanover, who was a Pennsylvania sired, and uh, she actually won the Audio Volo in 1995. That was a big thrill. Linwood Chance was another one. Uh, Rembrandt Lobel, Rumble Buster. I used to love to hear the announcers say, Rumble Buster. <laughs> and Easy Crombie. You know how an announcer picks up on a name like Jackie Lee back in the 70s would be Bobo. He'd go, Bobo, you know.
2: Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah Jackie Lee, uh, Jackie Mo. That's all you need to know from uh, talking yeah, about that. Yeah, I don't know he had, had
5: Everybody has this
2: style. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, in Bruce Saunders, I know when we were talking a little bit off the air, Bruce Saunders was uh, one of your main trainers. Uh, I know Bruce uh, still uh, has a pretty good stable today. He races a lot at Harris, Philadelphia, and uh, Pocono. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, and and he does a pretty good job. Dom, let's uh, let's switch gears for a little bit. Uh, coming up a little bit later on in this program, we've got uh, uh, a 9-11 segment, uh, kind of our tribute to September 11th, where we heard from a lot of different horsemen and uh, announcers and harness racing personalities about where they were uh, when uh, the towers came down, so to speak. Uh, and you have a pretty special story. Why don't you share that with us?
5: yeah it was about uh eight forty six in the morning uh that day when the when the plane hit I was on the Florida exchange waiting for the uh our commodity to open it We was about there a half hour before time, and the coffee sugar and cocoa guys were already there and uh there was a flicker of the lights and everybody looks up and the yell, yell out a little like whoa you know and uh all of a sudden the other side of the room, the Coffee, Sugar, and Cocoa guys come running towards the center and towards the exit, and one of them I hear saying, it's falling. I go, oh, my God, i got to get out of here. So I make a beeline to the, the exit, got down pretty quick. You know, luckily, they did a lot of improvements uh, because of the one in 1993 when they tried to uh, take down the other building. Right. You know, I fly down the stairs. I get to the bottom, come out, and there's papers flying all over the place. You don't know what happened yet. I look up to my right, and there's a gaping hole, smoke, flames coming out of the One World Trade Center where it hit. And uh, I thought the thing would tip over, so I made my way down to uh, Battery Park and uh, waited there. And then about five minutes later, I hear this roar coming, and it just kept getting louder and louder. It seemed like it lasted forever. It was The other plane came right over and and rammed right into Tower 2. That's when I said, uh, "That's it." I made a beeline to the Staten Island Ferry. I just made it on to the uh, part where they load the cars and the trucks. I yep. ripped my pants on the gate as the guy was closing it in because he wasn't staying there at all.
0: Okay. And when I
5: get on, when I get on the, the boat, there's a car engine running. Not a car; it was a truck engine running, and nobody around. So the first mate goes, uh, he to the captain. I don't know what to do. This, there's a car here. And there could be a bomb in it. The captain yells down, we could blow up here or out to sea. We're pulling out, shoving off. And sure no. uh, enough, they got in and just went out, and the guy came and shut the truck car off, the truck off.
2: What was the impression of a lot of the people as far as what was happening was concerned? Because obviously, this is uh, happening all at a rapid rate. And, you know, if you watched uh some of the news which you know 98% of us did to get our information especially when the first plane hit i think a lot of people thought that it was maybe a smaller commuter plane it was just an accident uh obviously i don't think things really uh you know settled in i don't think reality really settled in until that second plane hit what was the when the first plane hit uh, as you were, you know, kind of leaving and abandoning ships, so to speak. Uh, what was the general sentiment uh, of the opinion of what was going on?
5: Well, you were—you didn't know what happened, and you thought maybe it was an explosion, like the first one was a, was a bomb. They could have put a bomb up there and went. Could have been a plane, but I ever—I thought a plane would just knock the whole top off. You know, wouldn't withstand that uh, bang. So yeah, right. I didn't know it was a a plane until the next one when I saw the next plane hit. So people didn't know anything was going on. I was surmising, but they weren't really talking either. They were just exiting out of there. On your way down, you were telling people to just go back. Go back. Don't go in.
2: Now, for those, for people that are unfamiliar uh, with the New York City area, you got on the ferry, you got out into the water. Now, where did that ferry take you?
5: At my home, Staten Island on the other side. Okay. Throughout, all oh, you just see the, flint, the smoke coming out of the two buildings. And then when I, I finally got home, my wife was just hysterical. And yep. she told me the other building, the building collapsed. I had no idea the building collapsed. I couldn't believe it. That the first building went down. I was That's when I was, just, it was totally unbelievable. And I thought maybe they'd rescue people and then, you know, there'd be limited loss of life. But a building collapsed, forget it
2: when you were exiting um and obviously this was you know bang bang within minutes uh that you were exiting the building um was there any uh fire patrol or or police or anybody uh, any first responders responding to the scene as of yet
5: yes ems was coming up uh the Port Authority cops were there. There's a firehouse right across the street, and they were there immediately. And, and, and afterwards, you, I think every one of them died. I was watching all the people that came, went there, the first responders, to their death. It's it, it hmm. not nice. You know? you know, you think afterwards this would happen. At the time, you just think, oh, it's a regular fire or whatever, and they'll deal with it.
2: And by the time the uh first tower collapsed you were you were pretty far away. You, were you were you home I, at that point or
5: I was in the process I guess must have been on the bus from uh, Staten Island to from the ferry terminal to my home when it when it when it went down. So I got home pretty quick. And then, then my wife told me that that was a shock. I couldn't believe it it went down. And then watched the second one on TV go down.
2: Well, that is, uh, I'll tell you, that is certainly a touching story. And, uh, you know, you see a lot of stories on the, on the news and, uh, you know, obviously the closer to the scene you were, the more vivid the memory, uh, that, uh, that you have just a, a terrible, terrible day. Well, Dom, listen, we certainly appreciate you joining us, uh, and, uh, taking your time to, to spend here with us at post time with Mike and Mike and, uh, and sharing your story with us.
5: Okay, Mike, thank you.
2: All right. That was, uh, Dom Rabello, and, uh, wow
3: that that's all i that's all you can really say uh, It's unbelievable uh you know it, it's you, you hear that story and, and i I'm telling you you cannot wait to hear what, uh that we've talked to from around the industry i mean there are more stories just like his that it, it's unreal how close to uh to the harness racing world um that uh that nine eleven
2: that 9-11 was yeah and really and everybody you're really going to want to stick around for that because uh i'll tell you some of the people that we got a hold of to do this i mean you know you've got the likes of Corey callahan and dave miller uh jason settlemore uh sam mckee uh a lot of lot of uh You know, well-known harness racing personalities uh, helped us uh, put this tribute together, and that is going to come up probably in about 15 minutes or so. But one of the things, Mike, that I did want to mention uh, is that, and this is obviously a recorded piece, but putting this together, and I was looking for, uh, you know, a couple of voice things to, you know, to try to put this together and uh, went on YouTube and obviously get uh, George Bush's, President George Bush's first reaction uh, when he made his first speech. Uh, about uh, the World Trade Center incident. And uh, and then, uh, you know, some of the things that I found out that didn't make the cut, that didn't make it into the. Uh, I'll tell you why, because. Into that again. And uh, just believable. But uh, special thanks to Dom for joining us. Special thanks uh, too for the Hamiltonian Society's uh, Moira Fanning, because she was able to get all of Dom and, uh, or help us get a hold of Dom. And, and uh, it, was, uh, it, it was something, really something. We'll take a time out when we come back. Roger Houston, the voice of the Little Brown Jug for 50 years, will be joining us. You've got Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, we have a disqualification.
2: It doesn't get
1: much worse than picking a winner that ends up being disqualified after the race. What if you could eliminate the stress of sweating out a steward's inquiry? At BetAmerica, we're here to help. Introducing Inquiry Relief. Any winners of a greatest stakes race will get paid out even if they are disqualified after a steward's inquiry. Check BetAmerica.com for details and side effects. Get the relief you deserve with Inquiry Relief only at BetAmerica.com. Friends of Maryland Standard Breads is an industry support group focused on promoting harness racing in Maryland. Friends of Maryland Standardbreds works hand in hand with charities involving children and horses, such as the Harness Horse Youth Foundation. Friends of Maryland Standardbreds is actively involved with organizations such as the Maryland Horse Council and the Maryland Horse Industry Board, working together to promote the horse industry in Maryland. Follow Friends of Maryland Standardbreds on Twitter and Like them on Facebook.
2: We're back on Post Time with Mike and Mike, uh, presented by Bet America. very touching interview with former horse owner, uh, Dom Rabello, who was talking about uh, what was happening at Ground Zero. He was actually inside one of the towers when uh, one of the planes hit. And Roger Houston is joining us now, the voice of the little brown jug, the voice of the meadows, the voice of harness racing. And Roger, uh, we were just talking a little bit off the air about a 9-11 memory that pretty much shakes all of us in the harness racing industry, because, and and I didn't even stop to think about this, but we were only, what, four or five days from uh, Delaware, Ohio's meet opening.
6: Yeah, that was on a Tuesday, 9-11, and uh, we started racing on the following Sunday, and when 9-11 happened, uh, there were thoughts that possibly uh, we wouldn't even have Delaware uh, Grand Circuit and Little Brown Jug in, in that particular year. But as the time wore on, the decision was made by the folks in the federal government that things should go on as, uh, as much as normal as possible. There were a lot of changes made at Delaware that year that are still in effect uh, for this year. But uh, uh, on that very day, uh, we didn't know what uh, the status would be at Delaware.
3: Now, Roger, you're coming up on your 50th Little Brown Jug, and I witnessed two of the 50, and one of them just happened to be one of the greatest races of all time. (laughs) Talk to us a little bit about uh, what it
6: means to have called the Little Brown Jug for 50 years. Well, actually, I want to get it straight because uh, this is my 50th year at the Delaware County Fair. I did not call the jug in 1967, my first year there. Uh, Charlie Hinkle decided to go to California, and he told Hank Thompson the day of the adios, which was the second Saturday in August, that he wouldn't uh, be available to call the jug on that uh, particular uh, Thursday in September. And there was a group of Corwin Nixon, Stan Bergstein, Hank Thompson standing there when Charlie told him, and uh, Bergstein uh, piped up real quick, well, I I can call the jug for you, but I can't call the other three days and Corwin Nixon then uh, who was head of the USTA and Lebanon Raceway and such says well there's this young kid over in Ohio by the name of Roger Houston that uh, would fit in well at Delaware so that night about 10:30 on August the uh, uh, 12th I got a phone call from Hank Thompson asked me if I'd call the all the races leading up to the jug and do some on jug day but Bergstein would call the jug and uh, He says but you can call the jug in 1968 and so uh, That's a little difference this is My 50th year at Delaware but next Year will actually be my 50th little Brown jug good lord willing and the Crick don't rise
2: right Roger uh, take us back to The first little brown jug that you called uh, And take us back To some of the feelings That you had leading Up to the race where you I'd Imagine you'd have to be really nervous
6: well, yes and no. Um, if, if I was that nervous, I don't remember it. But to a to, to degree, even to this day, I get nervous before, uh, whether it's uh, the 5,000 claimer or whether it's Ohio Breeders Championship or whether it's the Little Brown Jug or the Adios, I still get nervous before those, those races. And I, and I think and I've always had the belief if you're not nervous, then it's time to get, get out of the business and quit. Uh, at that point in time I was doing like 17 county fairs in Ohio so it wasn't uh, like I was I was just going to a different county fair for the first time and uh, granted it was the biggest county fair in the state of Ohio but I was very comfortable and uh, I think it was probably a good thing that I didn't call the jug that first year because that would have uh, added to my nervousness uh, just to the call the races I got over that so the next year uh I was used to the surroundings and ready to go with the jug in 1968. Now, Roger, you have called some
3: fantastic Little Brown Jug races. You've had Riyadh. You've had Wiggle It, Jiggle It. Out of all the years you've been calling the Little Brown Jug, is there one in particular, or maybe there's two or three, that kind of stick out in your memory?
6: Well, Wiggle It, Jiggle It, of course. Uh, I've said uh, many times, I said it as soon as the race was over, uh, fans, you've just witnessed the greatest race in all of harness racing and that was about 30 seconds after they went under the wire and I think I went on to say that there's no loser today uh, lost for words gave his all uh, in that race, he just got beat uh, by Wigglet Jigglet today, uh, but uh, uh, recognized both horses as soon as the race was over. Wigglet Jigglet has become well, he is the Brett Hanover of this current day Now Brett won more races possibly And did not taste as many defeats But I've never seen All of harness racing Get behind uh, uh, One particular horse Like they have Wiggler Jigglet And George Tig and Montrell Tigg as well He is uh, He won America's race The Little Brown Jug and, and right now at least I believe He's America's harness horse Without any question there has been other jugs that I've loved and everything. Uh, uh, big Bad John, when he won in 2011, because the owners were very close uh, friends of mine, and so that was a big thrill for me. Uh, I still go back to one of the greatest jugs of all time, was when Nance Amon upset Albatross. Uh, I put Life Sign, probably, and I'm different from most people, uh, just because that I've seen so many of the, the jugs. Uh, I put Life Sign about three or four on the all-time list of uh, little brown jugs. Now, a lot of people are going to disagree with me, but uh, that's my own opinion. Hot hitter, when he won the little brown jug, uh, uh, it wasn't so much the horse race, but when Hervé Fillion come back standing in the race bike in front of all the fans of Delaware that year, that was an un- unbelievable moment for the fans of harness racing. And after all, that, that's what it's all about is the yep. fans, and I think Delaware, that's why Delaware is so important to harness racing. it is the biggest event. Uh, a lot of people refer to the Hamiltonian and things like that, but Delaware is, no question in my mind, the number one harness race each year in harness racing.
2: Absolutely, it's America's—it's America's, uh, it's America's uh, harness race and you know, and it's an event, and uh, you know, hey, it's getting started pretty quick. And and Roger, uh, from doing some reading uh, on USTrotting.com, dot com, I see that uh, you're going to be celebrating your 50th year you there, and uh, you're gonna—there's going to be some T-shirts available, and you're going to be <laughs> doing some meet and greets. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that?
6: Well, you know, usually when somebody does a character drawing of you. Uh, you can find something wrong with it. But uh, mm-hmm. I just love the T-shirt that they've developed. I haven't seen the color of the way it's going to be as far as the coloring goes, but uh, the picture itself, it's got me holding a microphone. It even shows the, the rings on my hands, and I'm standing in the middle of the Delaware track, and you can see the grandstand and the, the tents and everything around there. And Actually, you can actually see the shrubbery in the infield. And it's just a, a great character drawing. That I'm so proud to, to be the center of, and uh, it's going to be a big moment. Uh, we'll be in the uh, underneath the grandstand for about a half hour each day of racing. We'll be at the uh, uh, stand back by the log cabin about a half hour after each day's races. People want to buy a T-shirt, and uh, uh we'll be ha- more than happy to sign it. And if anybody's got one and you see me in the golf cart riding, just stop me, and I'll sign your T-shirt. Uh, uh, it's a big moment for me. I, I can't imagine 50 years. It, it's very hard to imagine that I've been there for 50 years, and uh, because, believe me when I tell you, time flies. Now, Roger, I got to tell you, I'm coming to the jug next week,
3: and I plan on buying one of those T-shirts. Uh, it's uh, I, I've got your. Uh, don't get shut out, wager now, T-shirt at the house. And I plan on making sure that I get this one uh, as well. Roger, let's talk a little bit about the 2016, John. You've got a fantastic field of horses coming. Obviously, control the moment being scratched uh, kind of hinders things just a little bit. But, you know, betting line has just been absolutely phenomenal. Talk to us about this crop of three-year-olds and uh, maybe, a horse that maybe sticks out other than betting
5: line.
6: Well, you know, post positions a lot of times has a lot to do with the jug, you know. But there have been horses win the little brown jug from post eight. Well said, did it from post eight and then i think the second heat was won by the horse that was wearing post 10 in the first heat the same was true with most happy fella in columbia george most happy fella had the, the rail in the first uh heat and in the second heat uh, in the first heat i think columbia george was a trailer in the second tier so post position means a lot but there have been Great horses overcome those post positions. And I really think betting line is one of those horses that can overcome the post position. And uh, let's face it, Casey Coleman, what what is she's now won, what, two out of the last five jugs or something like that? And uh, she's won some jugettes. And you can always count on her to have a, a horse in the jug. And bringing this horse in with 11 straight wins and such, he has to be the heavy favorite. Uh, I'm hoping that Tony Alagna will drop uh, racing Hill into the bike because he just had an incredible mile in the adios uh, in his win. There uh, went right down the pike in uh, all kinds of fractions and was uh, uh, that people didn't think he could uh, survive. And yet he drew away in the stretch from the rest of the field. The Burke horse check six right now is uh, at his best part of the season, but believe me depending on how the race goes and how they battle and stuff it could be somebody else that jumps up and uh, gets it uh, gets it all you just never know and that's uh, the great thing about the little brown jug there's never such a thing as a sure shot
2: no certainly not and that's why uh, you know i think uh, the sport of harness racing looks forward to this race every year it's uh, hey it's a celebration of harness racing as far as i'm concerned a week long celebration of the mm-hmm. sport and uh Roger before we let you go um, let's look uh, forward to what's going on with Roger Houston. Now, uh, you, you're going to be a couple of days at the Shenandoah, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh,
6: the Joe, of course, is the 22nd, and we'll be down at uh, Shenandoah at Woodstock, Virginia, on uh, October the 1st and 2nd. And then the uh, that's a Saturday and Sunday, and we're looking forward to that. That'll be our 137th racetrack
5: that wow. we've announced
6: races at. And uh, more than likely, we'll get, I'm guessing, number 173,000 at uh, Woodstock, Virginia, Uh, the way it looks like it's setting up. We're just uh, shy of 172,900 right now. So uh, I think by Woodstock, we'll be ready to get to that 173 plateau. But uh, more importantly, 137 different racetracks. And I'm really looking forward to it. I've heard nothing but uh, raving uh, Uh, Statements by people that have raced there And they said the grandstand is packed And the fans are loving it And uh, I'm just looking so forward to it And not only that, I'm looking forward to October the 3rd When we reopen uh, for our rest of the season We're down right now for three weeks without any racing uh, With uh, Lexington and uh, Delaware on tap we resume our racing schedule on Monday, October the 3rd. So we'll be in Shenandoah Downs on Saturday and Sunday and right back at the regular spot Monday for the Meadows at 1 o'clock.
2: Roger, I had a chance to call at Shenandoah last Saturday, and I'll tell you what, you're going to be very impressed with the racetrack. Uh, Chuck Perry had a Mm -hmm. horse. Uh, 152 under wraps there. The track is just in, in, uh, in, the Coons did a heck of a job. I mean, that track is just in unbelievable shape. It's, uh, considering it's a new racetrack, it's very good. And you know what? It's the old style harness racing feel, where you know you pack that grandstand with about six, seven, eight hundred people, and you know what, Roger? They're 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 cheering uh, when they come around the first time. They're cheering in the post parade. They're cheering when they come in front of the stands. It's just a great feeling, Roger. And I know they can't wait to have you.
6: Well, I'm looking forward to it. And you know, there was an article I think in uh, the magazine out in Indiana, and they interviewed Montrell Tig and they asked him what his favorite track to race on was, whether it was a half, five-eighths, or a mile track. Montrell Tiggs said there's no question about it. He likes half-mile track racing uh, better than uh, the five-eighths or the mile track, and I I think that speaks a lot for Delaware and tracks like Shenandoah and uh, and other tracks as well. Uh, There's some great harness racing on a half-mile track, and I heard about the 152 mile. I'll be very honest, I was totally shocked that they went that fast this early uh, in the meet. And you would think it would take uh, three or four more weeks maybe for the track to finally settle, but I guess it's in great shape right now.
2: Certainly is, and that was uh, 52 under wraps, too. Roger, we certainly yeah. appreciate you joining us. We are so looking forward to uh, another edition of the Little Brown Jug, and uh, I know Mike Carter will be there, and he's going to pick us up a couple of shirts. Looking forward to it, my friend, as always.
6: Okay, take care, and it's always a pleasure to be on with you guys on Mike and Mike.
2: All right, thanks, Roger. Good night. Wait, that was wait a the minute. Voice. I, I,
6: who, Roger Houston. Who,
3: who who Who's picking up shirts?
2: Well, I you know, I was <laughs> hoping you'd buy me one. Gee, Louise, you, holy moly, it's not going to hurt, hurt your you pocketbook know, too good? much. I mean, what's it give to be, 15 bucks at the very most?
3: Listen, man, you got to
2: buy me dinner first, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. International Trot Day, I'll, uh, I'll drive up, I'll uh, buy you some dinner. By the way, you know, we should take an opportunity, before we get into the serious stuff, we should take an opportunity uh, to plug the fact that we are not going to be broadcasting live the International Trot and the Breeders' Crown. International Trot's coming up October 15th at Yonkers, uh, and the Breeders' Crown is uh, not too far after that uh, up at the Meadowlands. We'll be live doing remotes, obviously, for more information uh as the days get closer, uh, you can check us out online at posttimewithmikeandmike.com or like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Uh, that uh, may be an e- easier way because we're always on social media. Mike, we're always uh, out there plugging away, uh, liking and retweeting and tweeting and doing all that kind of stuff that you youngins do.
3: Yeah, us youngins. Things get a little bit serious on Post Time with Mike and Mike. We've got our 911 segment coming up. You do not want to miss this. You thought Dom Ribello's story earlier was uh, touching. You're not going to want to miss this. You've got post time with Mike and Mike, presented by
5: BetAmerica.
0: Hello, this is Kayla Stra and I'm here to tell you all about BetAmerica.com. It is the fastest growing legal, safe, and secure website to place all your bets on horse racing. BetAmerica covers over 200 racetracks from North America, the U.K., and my home country, Australia. New players to BetAmerica receive 100% bonus on your first deposit up to $300. That's the best sign-up bonus available today. It's time to play the Bet America way.
1: The New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program places retired racehorses into approved monitored homes and transitions them into second careers. New Vocations has placed over 350 retired standardbreds the past three years. They are now accepting horses from all racetracks in the United States. New Vocations has facilities in Ohio, Kentucky, and Pennsylvania, and is expanding to New York. To learn more, visit NewVocations.org and on Facebook at New Vocations
6: Racehorse Adoption Program. Uh, Today we've had a national tragedy. Uh, Two airplanes have crashed into the World Trade Center in an apparent terrorist attack on our country.
7: I'm gonna miss you. Today is the first
8: day. I'm not gonna share my world with you. My name is Victor Kirby, and this is my 9 11 recollection of what happened that day. I can remember it like it was yesterday. I was at my family farm where I'm still at today in Milford, Delaware. I was in the stable, attending to my daily duties, and my mother farmhouse and said they're running into the World Trade Center. Uh, My immediate reaction was, what are you talking about? And I really didn't believe how surreal it was until I went into the house and saw the images on TV. And I can remember the rest of the day, that's all we heard on the radio. Everybody was kind of transfixed and and mesmerized by what was going on. We canceled the races that night at Harrington Raceway, where at the present time I was racing. And rest of the day i was just transfixed on the tv watching the images uh it was very emotional to to see that happening to our country and and, i mean that's that's my vivid recollection of 9-11 hi
3: this is uh brett miller and this is my 9-11 memory i was racing at
0: kenton
9: county fair in ohio and i'll never forget we had a double header that day we had uh Races in the afternoon and then races at night. And we were in the middle of racing the afternoon card. And obviously, uh, you know, everybody got the word. And it was, I, I never forget how scary it was because the races, you know, we stopped the races. We actually canceled the rest of the races. And I, I remember
10: it
3: being so scary because. You know, nobody knew what was going on. Nobody knew
9: what was coming next. And uh, a friend of mine at the time, uh, guy, another driver named Jamie Dunlap, we both, we, went, we we left the fairground and we went down the road to uh, like a little restaurant. And I remember we sat in that restaurant and watched the TV, obviously, with, you know, everybody else was glued to the TVs. And uh, that's basically how my 9-11... Day uh, with for myself.
11: Hi, this is John Hernan. I am the track announcer at Yonkers Raceway, and this is my 9 11 memory. As I, I'm sure everyone's is different, mine was I was actually in bed, I was sleeping, and I got a call from an aunt, a very close aunt of mine, and she had said, A small plane went into the uh, World Trade Center. You might want to turn on the TV, and I was half asleep, but I woke up, and it all became surreal right in front of your eyes, and my immediate thought was my daughters, and they were in school, so I was trying to figure out how I'm going to get them home. So everything was going through my mind. I, it didn't seem like it was real, and, you know, I just couldn't fathom, you know, what, what would be without, without my kids and, you know, all the loved ones. So it, was, it took a long time to process everything. So I guess my memory was just of my daughters and making sure that they were home safe.
12: Hello, my name is George Tigg My 911 memories are having a horse on the way to Pocono Downs to race in a steak race, and not being able to get a hold of the people that was shipping the horse to tell them uh, that the race had been canceled because of the 911 uh, plane attacks. Meaning everybody knew anybody was calling everybody, and the phone lines was completely shut down and. And your first impression was, this is too bad to be true. And thinking that it had to be something else. Nobody would ever fly planes into the buildings in New York City. and and they come to find out that it was absolutely true. and not only one, then you see the second plane flying into the to the second building was absolutely one of the most craziest feelings you had have gone through yourself. Um, that is my nine one one memory.
3: Remember, like it was yesterday. Definitely chilling to even think about, it, even today. Yeah, my name is Dan Rawling. This is my memory of 9/11. I was in uh, Greenwich, Connecticut, and uh, we were working all night. Some uh, of the crew couldn't show up, so our boss told us that we had to stay. We were there for 20
13: hours, and then uh, we got the notification about the towers getting hit. And even from Greenwich, you could see the smoke up in the air. Not very long after.
14: Put a real perspective on uh, life, on what really matters and what doesn't. Me working a 20-hour
3: day he didn't have a, didn't have uh, any kind of any any kind of worry to my mind at that point. Um, obviously, our country, our people,
14: and people that serve it are more important than the small problems that we live every day in life.
7: Hi, this is Moira Sullivan Fanning from the Hamiltonian Society. Uh, This is my 9-11 memory. I was driving to work, listening to Curtis and Kuby. Curtis was actually making a joke about a plane flying into the World Trade Tower, and then things got deadly serious. I went on to work, and this was in the early days of the harness list, which was really kind of the community of harness racing people all around the country, and everybody was... Checking in from Canada and California and Ohio and New York. Are you okay? Are you okay? Shortly after that, uh, I went to a funeral in New York City about two days later um, for a close uh, friend. And the city was so eerie, it was deserted it was like something out of a movie set and to look down Broadway and see plumes of smoke and a gaping hole where the World Trade Towers were, were just, it was, it's hard to still comprehend. And I also remember that, uh, that year I went to Lexington and flying to Lexington and going down there was such a relief it was a beautiful weather and beautiful racing and it was like the weight of the world was off you if even for a week so it was a, a terrible terrible uh, episode in this country's history and one i'll never forget
1: yeah
10: this is dave miller and uh my 9/11 memory was i was at freehold raceway at qualifiers um and heard about the attack there. And uh, I just remember the uh, how everything was shut down so quick around where I even lived at, New Jersey. And uh, just the awful experience of the whole thing. But I, I was at qualifiers. I, I remember it really well. Um,
14: never forget it.
15: Hey, it's Darren Gagne, track announcer at Run Aces Casino and Racetrack. And uh, on the morning of Tuesday, September 11, 2001, I was working in the race office at Sports Creek Raceway in Michigan with uh, Billy Perkins, and we were drawing for the Friday night card. Uh, We always had Good Morning America on the TV while we were grading the races, and of course they broke in with live reports of a plane crashing into the World Trade Center. First, we were all thinking perhaps, you know, it was just some kind of an accident and we thought maybe it was just a small plane, that kind of thing. But it quickly became apparent that it was something like far more serious than that. Horsemen were coming in and out of the race office and the crowd around the TV became larger and larger and everything just seemed to stop. Everyone was suddenly in a fog. We didn't really understand what was going on. Time started to seem like it was standing still as all these tragic events played out on the T V screen in front of us, it was really surreal. And we got word that the track would be closing down for a couple of days. We wouldn't have live racing on the next night. So it just got really strange and nobody really knew what to think or what to do. It's just a very strange time.
0: We didn't know where you were going or what really was happening. They just wanted us out. We got in the stairwell and they had us all line up. And you looked down over the edge, and all you could see was these hundreds of people down there in front of you. Judy was on the 55th floor. Yeah, so this is
13: Corey Callahan. Um, back in 2001, I was fresh out of college, uh, working for an IQ recruiting firm called Tech USA. So part of our district was um, Washington, D.C. And, you know, we, we had heard,
5: you know, um,
13: by the Internet or whatever, of course, the Internet was available back then. But, uh, we, you know, we had heard that the Twin Towers were hit. Um, the guy in the desk right across from me, his father, um, worked at the Pentagon. So, you know, we're trying to make, you know, find out what's going on and everything. And, and he calls his dad. He's talking to his dad, and maybe like five minutes into the conversation, there's are boom, in the background. And his dad goes... I gotta go. So, you know, we found out then that the Pentagon was hit, but luckily, like, he was kind of on the other, you know, in another wing of, you know, where it got hit. But you know, he could he could hear the sound and everything, and um, you know, so we're like kind of all in a panic. Well, later that later that day, one of our other account representatives comes back. There were two guys. They were on. I guess it was, uh, like, 395, which kind of circles around the Pentagon. They see the plane coming, and they're like, they're like, you know, he says to, it's this guy Chuck, he, he says to Scott, um, you know, that plane was really low, and next thing you know, like, it hits the Pentagon. So, like, these guys, you know, that I worked with at the time saw it, and it was just, you know, I mean, it was, it was crazy, like, you know, we're we're very fortunate to live where we are and, and feel, um, you know, safe. But you know, at, at that time, I think it was, uh, you know, it was scary for all of us. So, um, you know, it's just something you it's not a good memory, but hopefully we, uh, don't have anything happen like that ever again.
9: Hi, this is uh, driver, Aaron Merriman. Um, on this day, 9 uh, 11, uh, 13 years, but 15 years ago, um, I was on the way to Mount Pelier fair, um, I remember very uh, very distinctly, um, I was up with a friend that was actually uh, just got out of the reserves. So, um, and I was letting him drive. It was his first drive. So, when I was asked to do this, it was uh, very, very touching to me. I remember my cell phone not working, um, being late, you know, a lot of people on the road, and just, uh, you know, fear of what was going to happen next for, you know, for the U.S. and, and the people that were all involved. Um, just, you know, wanting and waiting and to, to know what was going on. But a very, very fearful moment for our country, but uh, since then, you know, it's been a nice togetherness, so, you know, of course, I was uh, just beginning my career in uh, racing, but um, it was definitely touching and daring to my, my heart that day, and uh, like I said, a, a fellow, a, per, a buddy of mine that was in reserve was doing his first drive, um, and I was letting him drive one of my horses named the Sniper in. Uh, God bless the, you know, all the U.S., the U.S. troops and firefighters that, that helped us that day. Thank you.
13: Hey, this is Darren Zoccali, and this is my 9/11 moment. Uh, on September 11, 2001, I was 18 years old. I
3: was in my second week as a freshman at St. John's University, and uh, we were sitting in a classroom. I had an early class that day, where we started to uh, get word from other students that were kind of moving around the hall that there was a uh, that there was a plane that crashed into the World Trade Center. And the campus at St. John's in Staten Island actually has a great view of the manhattan skyline at the top of grimes hill so the class actually walked up to the top of the hill which is where we saw the smoke coming off of the first tower and actually saw the second plane fly into the building uh directly while looking at the manhattan skyline and with several of us noticing the plane about a good 15 seconds before it hit because it was flying so low and it was the only plane that you could see flying in the sky and uh just remember when that happened, everybody running, getting in their cars and just driving back home or to the dorms and uh, calling my dad, who was a principal, and talking to him and telling me that it was going to be a long day and that they were keeping the kids in the school until every parent was found and that somebody could come pick up the kids. And uh, yeah, really a tragic day for all of us in New York City. And I had five friends that lost their fathers, either that worked at Cantor Fitzgerald or firefighters. Uh, So uh, it was an extremely difficult day. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, I witnessed the second plane hitting the building uh, while staring at the Manhattan skyline from my college campus. So uh, sadly, that is my 9-11 moment. This is
10: Jason Settlemore from the Meadowlands Racetrack, Tioga Downs, and Vernon Downs. And uh, my memory from uh, 9-11 is I had not turned the TV on that morning and had got up and I uh, was on my way to the office in South Downs and I remember being on State Route 23, listening to Howard Stern on uh, 97.1 at that time in Columbus, and um, he was talking about a uh, plane hitting the World Trade Center, and, uh, and listening to Howard, I thought, well, you know, I didn't know what to think, so I switched over to WNCI 97.9, and they were talking about the same thing. And at that point in time, a few seconds after I had flipped over and they were uh, talking about it, the, the second plane hit the, uh, the other tower. Um, and I remember being at Scioto, walking in and going in to our marketing office, mm-hmm. <laughs> turning on the TV and watching um, the live reports. And I remember uh, uh, the towers getting, uh, crashing down and uh, which brought me to my needs. I have uh, grown up in my life. uh, My mother uh, retired from the Newark Air Force Base and my grandfather uh, was in World War II. uh, So very much, uh, and she was in the Navy and so very much uh, grew up in a military family. And I remember picking up the phone and and calling both my mother and my grandfather and uh, telling them thank you for everything they had done for our country. Um, in the past, and uh, but I remember those towers come uh, crashing down just like everybody else, and it brought me to my knees. And uh, what a, uh, a horrible day in history um, one of the darkest days that uh, the United States has ever had. And uh, I hope that uh, myself I'll always remember it and will always continue to.
0: Hi, this is Joanne Looney King, and this is my 9-11 memory. Most beautiful day, sun shining. We were jogging horses, getting ready to put things away. My mother gets a phone call from my daughter in Arizona, and she said the Twin Towers had been attacked. Well, we were very familiar with that because we raced in New Jersey and lived in New Jersey for so many years and looked at those towers for nine months going back and forth to the Meadowlands, and uh we had a conversion van at the time that we came to the barn in. We had a little T V in there. We ran out to the T V and we turned the T V on and we just were simply spellbound watching everything happen and the sadness and the unbelievable just not not believing that, that this is really happening. So uh, uh it, it it was just it was uh it was so, so scary. It was, it was so sad. And uh, you just carried that day with you forever. And I know I have. And uh, we watched this so much uh, that when it came to time to get ready to leave, uh, the battery on the van had run down. We watched this little TV in this van of everything happening. And uh, it was uh, just, uh, just, just, of course, such a beautiful day with such sad, sad memories. And uh, I will always
7: remember
14: that day. Hey, this is Sam McKee in the Meadowlands with my 9-11 memory. And it's a day that, of course, nobody will ever forget. We were racing thoroughbreds that night. So I was putzing around out in the barn in the morning and hauling some dirt and that sort of thing. And one of the neighbors came by and told me that a plane had just hit one of the towers. So I went in and told my wife. And we turned on the TV and started watching it and saw the second plane hit as we were watching live. And it was just uh, uh, beyond bleep. Of course, the races were canceled for that week. And I couldn't get a hold of Dave Johnson. who was our announcer who lived in Manhattan. All the phone lines were down, that sort of thing. And I didn't go back to the Meadowlands until the following Friday. And when you got close to the track, it was like New York City looked like it was just in a shroud of like dark clouds and dust and debris still. And it's almost like something out of medieval times. And one of our neighbors, a lady that trained saddlebreds, her husband actually worked in the Twin Towers. And he always went to work early in the morning. And he said, for some reason that day, I slept in. I took my time, I had a breakfast and I went in late. He was actually had just got off the train and was walking towards the towers with the first plane hit. So for whatever reason God was looking out for him that day. So just a, a horrible, horrible, horrible tragedy and one that uh, nobody will ever forget uh, as long as we live and as long as we get the generations live.
2: All right. Special thanks to, uh, Vic Kirby, Brett Miller, uh, Moira Sullivan fanning, Darren Gagne, uh, Dan Rawlings, George team, John Hernan, Dave Miller, Corey Callahan, Aaron Merriman, Darren Zoccali, Joanne Looney King, Jason Settlemore, and, uh, Sam McKee, uh, for, uh, sharing their thoughts, uh, on nine 11. Uh, I know Roger Houston did that earlier and a special thanks to, um, uh, to Dom Ribello who, uh, former host owner was, uh, Gracious enough to grant us an interview and tell us about the day that uh, was September 11, 2001. and He was at Ground Zero, actually in one of the towers um, when uh, the planes hit and uh, was telling us about uh, what was going on there. But um, before we get into our Round the Horn segment, I do want to read something that Jen Sullivan, the chart writer, of uh harris philadelphia a longtime uh uh harness racing uh, personality contributor for a lot of different uh in a lot of different ways wrote a terrific article not too long after september 11 2001 uh and it was written for Hoofbeats. and uh, i'll read it at this time and uh, she goes for weeks after september 11th I didn't feel much like writing about harness racing or watching harness racing or talking about harness racing. That morning, my car battery had died, and I was calling a friend for jumper cables. He told me of the first plane crash into the World Trade Center. As I turned on the TV, the second plane crashed. In hindsight, it seems foolish that I didn't right away think terrorism had come to strike our homeland. It was so spectacularly, mind-numbingly awful that it was hard to grasp it for what it was, mass murder. So I went to work. I didn't know what uh, else to do. When I got there, like everyone else in the country, I tried calling someone. Phone service was spotty, and no one really knew any more than anyone else did. I tried to work, but the calls kept coming, and the news kept getting worse. Probably just like you, I wept, raged, went to church, sent money, tried to give blood, dug out my American flag, obsessively watched TV, read newspapers, and stayed logged on to the Internet for hours at a time. After a couple of days, most of racing, if it had stopped, tried to get back to business. The Meadowlands paused longer than most. If you were on the track that morning, you had a clear view of Hell Unleashed and its proximity to the disaster proved valuable to the rescue efforts. Some tracks were exacerbated for not stopping at all or for coming back too soon, business as usual. But in the wake of an event so catastrophic, just how long of a pause is seemingly enough? People need to work, and if your work involves some aspect of gambling, why is it worse for you to be at work than anybody else is? Bank tellers and auto mechanics may have huddled around the TV in horror, but they did it at work. The papers that objected to racing going on no doubt accepted ads that day and were delivered as usual. All that sniping seems unimportant now. I do wish more tracks or we as a sport could have done more to try and help. In the end, however... It won't be how we stand as a sport, but how we stand as a nation that matters. Still in the rush to help, many people stepped up. Owners and trainers of stables large and small contributed money or dedicated portions of future earnings to relief funds. Others sent gloves, goggles, clothing, food, and money to the relief efforts. Some people affixed red, white, and blue decorations to their equipment. Others painted stars and stripes on their horses. Trust funds and scholarships were set up, and tracks set aside portions of proceeds. Law enforcement officers, who also worked at Scioto Downs, volunteered their muscle and sweat traveling to New York to offer assistance and emotional support. This small sport means that you know many of the people who are in it with you, and many of us knew someone lost or families affected. Newspapers published pages and pages of pictures of lost ones heart-wrenching in their simple, happy smiles daily for weeks afterwards. If you did not know someone personally affected by that day of infamy, were you any less wounded by what you saw and read? Maybe. After all, for most of us, it was not our loved one who would not be coming home. For us, life has probably moved on a little more easily. I was able to watch The Little Brown Jug and work up some excitement. And have been to the track and cheered my horse home. I have gotten on a plane and crossed the border into Canada and back. When the Meadowlands opens for its first ever winter harness meet, I'll go past the irrevocably altered skyline that now somber vista as life goes on. But it's not quite the same. It shouldn't be. I grew up in a wonderful time when being an American didn't require me to do much at all just to live life or just to be free in a free country. That's not enough anymore, but that's okay too. I am prepared to stand proudly as an American and for everything that means. See you at the races. And that was an article that was written by Jen Sullivan shortly after the nine eleven attacks that appeared in Hoofbeats Magazine. And Mike, um I'll tell you it was tough putting together that uh, segment, but really a big thanks to everybody that contributed. And uh real quick before we get our to our around the horn segments, I think we should probably share our own nine eleven uh memories. So Mike, if you uh wanna go ahead and fire away and lead it off.
3: You know, I, I remember being in uh P E class in eighth grade and you know, they, nobody would really talk about it. Teachers didn't really want to say a whole lot. But I went into my civics classroom and uh we of course she had it on the television and so the one thing I remember the most is getting off the bus and there being police cars at every bus stop. And if your parents weren't there to pick you up, you were required to get in the back of this cop car and they took you home. And it was just, it was an incredible, incredible scene. I mean, we missed school, I think, for two days after that. Nobody was really sure. I lived in Richmond at the time, so they thought the National Treasury was next. And so uh, Richmond uh, definitely took a... uh, took a backseat to uh, a normal daily life. And then, uh, you know, my, my one horse racing moment, uh, I'll never ever forget it is hearing Tom Durkin say to now wins it for America in 2001. It was, just, you, you hear in some of the, uh, two videos, Chris McCarron allude to all the snipers that were on top of the roof at Belmont park that day. And, you know, just the amount of camaraderie that was there. And so, to see a nation and a sport come together was, uh, is my memory.
2: Yeah, it certainly was. And one of the very first sporting events afterwards, uh, you see all the people that uh, were singing the national anthem the stadium, just full of, uh, voices, 40, fifty thousand 50,000 people singing the national anthem was, uh, uh, a very touching moment. And, uh, real quick, Mike, my memory was, uh, I was working for a, uh, radio station slash uh sports publication at the time and uh, we were down in southern Indiana. We had to take, uh, we were based out of northwest Indiana, just outside of Chicago. And down in southern Indiana, we had to take uh, a couple of pictures. There were uh, some real good basketball players down south Indiana that were moving on to major colleges. And uh, we wanted to get their pictures for this publication. And I remember uh, being locked down in a high school, not too far, less than a mile. Uh, and I can't remember the name of the high school, but uh, I was locked down in that particular high school. Uh, glued to the TV. And it was not too far, less, like I said, less than a mile, probably closer than where Indiana downs is right now in Indiana, of course, a new track, not the uh, 15 years old, but uh, um, I remember leaving. I remember the, the the one thing that caught my eye was the lines for gas and people really didn't know what to expect. They didn't know what was next. So I guess one of the, uh, first things that people do is they like to you know go stock up at the grocery store and go make sure you have plenty of gas because there was a line at the gas station that was unbelievable. That's the grocery store about a mile down the road and you couldn't even find a place to park. Uh it was uh like that. So I mean, listen, people didn't know what to expect um and uh and hats off to the passengers of flight 93 that were able to thwart that air attack because that was headed to the White House. And if that plane would have connected with its target, um, you know, I mean, it could have uh, even caused, well, it would have caused more damage, but uh, it would have uh, further changed our history. Uh, that was, uh, that was interesting. And we appreciate everybody that uh, came on and, uh, you know, helped us pay tribute to nine eleven. Uh, and it was uh, it was uh, a great thing. So thanks to everybody that did that. We still have more to come on this edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike. When we come back, it's our Around the Horns section. You've got Post Time with Mike and Mike presented by Bet America.
0: Hey, I'm Chantel Sutherland-Cruz and want to tell you all about BetAmerica.com. It's the coolest place to bet on horse racing on over 200 racetracks from America and around the world. New players receive a 100% bonus on your first deposit, up to $300. That's the best sign-up bonus available today. It's time to play the Bet America way.
6: Around the horn is the easiest
2: way, the better way, and that is how we will go. Anything more?
14: Are you frightened to go around the horn, Mr. Christian? Are you a coward too, sir? Oh, baby, come on. Let me take you where the action is. Oh, baby, come
15: on. Let me take you where the action is. Oh, baby, come on. Let me take you where the action is. It's so neat to meet your baby where the action
3: is. To post time with Mike and Mike, Mike Carter alongside of Mike Bozich. And it's our favorite time of the show, it's the Around the Horn segment. And our show presented by That American. Now, Mike, you have, I don't know if you've looked at your programs yet, but they're both named Harrington. Uh, the one that is 919 is the one we're going to look at first. And it's uh, the Kean Memorial uh, at Harrington Raceway, if I can scroll to it here. And our good friend, Wiggle it, Jiggle It, he's back, Mike. This time he drew the rail. And it's a hundred and fifty thousand dollar Bobby Keen Memorial McGuardle. Lightning draws post two. Yeah, luck be with you at here, draws post four. Of course Rock and Ron is back uh, after upsetting Wiggly Jiggle in the pre dayet at uh at Hippodrome three R and then Mel Mare draws the outside. Mike, it's gonna be tough to beat Wiggle Jiggle on the rim.
2: Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, I mean, he's got the rail. Uh, you know, this is. Uh, I mean, does not always always be. Mickey is not in here. Uh, you know, a few of the others aren't in here. But who is in here is, uh, like we said, Rock and Ron, who has beat uh, Wiggle It, Jiggle It twice. Uh, you've got uh, Luck Be with you, who I thought raced very, very well last time. Finishing only length and a half away, length and three quarters away from always be making wiggle it jiggle it. And of course you got Mel Mara. Now Mel Mara made a statement last week, but uh look where he draws. Post position number eight. I mean, my goodness, that's going to be very tough. So uh obviously wiggle it jiggle it is the one to beat here. No show wagering, Mike, sorry about that. Um and <laughs> there is no show wagering. You, you you, listen,
3: you, you and the, you, listen, you and the show. You know what? I, I've got to get another wager.
2: because hey, my my
3: show wagering bit is uh is about had it. But no, I'm just yeah. kidding. Uh, <laughs> you know, there there's no show wagering. But you know what? I can, listen. There, there's bridge jumpers in the place pool too. That's all I'm saying.
2: Oh absolutely, no question about it, but uh wiggle it jiggle it's obviously the dominant force in here, uh, but who knows Rock and ron has beat him twice uh he has that uh you know that type of speed that can last on a half mile track if he gets out there and gets in front of Wiggles and wiggles likes to sit pocket I don't see that happening today but uh you never know i mean rock and Ron does have two victories against them so uh if you could find some uh value in the exact there then uh, go for it okay so the first one is the mohawk even though it's named harrington i'm not so sure why it was named harrington but uh, it is the correct it is the correct mohawk program so we will not be analyzing from the wrong program even though i've known people that have done that and have won
3: Hey, listen, I've done it before and one. You know, it happens. The first race we're going to cover is race number two. And, Mike, listen, there's not a whole lot to cover in this race. It's a $363,000 uh, peaceful way final for two-year-old Philly Trotters. And, Mike, as much as I hate to bet one to nine Trotters, it's Ariana G versus the world. I think Ariana G has got, the, uh, has got the leg up on everybody. She doesn't show making a break yet. I now watch. I'll say that, and something will happen. But that's all money uh, put in a very impressive performance uh, last week. But I I, I don't see anybody uh, losing to – or, see anybody beating Ariana G.
2: Well, she's undefeated. And, uh, I mean, she's done everything right. This is the two-year-old Philly Trot final for $363,000. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously she's a great horse. I mean, 53-2 and two last time. It was a seven-and-three-quarter length win. It was a statement race. Uh, I mean, they weren't even the same league with her last time. I would – have to agree with you. I mean, hate to play it, Chuck, but, uh, you know, that's all money's another Jimmy Tactor horse that looked very good last time. And, you know, these two-year-olds, Mike, they can improve at very rapid rates. So, I mean, from race to race, from week to week, they could take some pretty major jumps sometimes. So uh, if that's uh, the case and uh, if that's all money can pr- improve a little bit time-wise from that 54-4 effort, maybe she could stay with Ariana J, who is obviously the one to beat here, Mike. And there is show wagering in that event.
3: Of course there is. There's a field of ten. $350,000 William Wellwood final for two-year-old Colton Gelling Trotters is race five. What the Hill draws post number three. Seven and seven, Mike, really impressed me uh, last week. Uh, picks up John Campbell this week, a driving change from the trainer Thomas Duran to John Campbell. That's a big, big, big driving change. Then you have Victor Geowitt, uh, who was fifth, missed my 12 lengths, didn't get the best trip after making a break uh, last time out. I'm going to pass on Victor Geowitt. I think that seven and seven is going to be the horse to beat here.
2: Yeah. There's a lot of Hills in this race. I mean, signal Hill is the eighth and you've got some Hills on the inside King on the Hill and what the Hill and, 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 uh, you know, What the Hill is, I think, definitely the one to beat. Uh really nice brushing move last time. Was able to uh, get the job done over Signal Hill by a neck last time. Signal Hill is obviously out in post-8. So I think uh, the post advantage for What the Hill will prove prominent in this particular race. And I think uh, that's your selection.
3: $632,000 Maple Leaf Trot Final uh, for three-year-old and upward trotters. Mike Resolved is back it, it's interesting because Ocas cortez picks up the mount again as John Campbell goes to J.L. Cruz. It's not really a surprise there, but you got to think uh, that maybe, maybe, uh, if Ocasio-Cortez has travel issues again, it's the question of who he goes to. Um, because the the man David Miller's on the outside. Robert Bird picks up the mount on Nahar uh, after Dave Miller drove Nahar to an impressive fourth Place finish. I was really impressed with Nahar. Resolve looks like the horse to beat. You've got Hannibal or Hanover in here. And Mike, this mare has absolutely been on fire. And I got to think that she has a big shot to beat the boys again and be the dominant damsel among this group.
2: Well, everybody talks about betting lines winning streak at 11, but Hanalore Hanover's won nine in a row, and she's been impressive uh, doing so. Uh, she's uh, went over the million dollar mark here uh, recently, and she's uh, listen. She's venturing up against the the boys, and here's the thing. With Pacers, I think it's more of a big deal if you go against the boys than it is with Trotters. So, you know, don't let that uh, – don't don't shy away. I mean, if you really like Hanalore or and want to put a, a couple of bucks on her, uh, certainly don't let that sway you because she was just as impressive against the boys as she was against the girls. And I think she's got a huge, huge shot to win here. She's done everything that's been asked of her. Um, you know, listen, resolve – is uh, obviously a very nice horse, draws the inside, does have speed. You never expect this horse to be far off the trot. Um, so obviously I do think that he holds a little bit of an edge in this spot, but uh, hey, I think it's girl power here. I'm going with Handel or Hanover to uh, get a big one against the boys here, Mike. What a great race that is. Maple Leaf Trot is always supplied a very, very uh, fun and entertaining race. So, and uh, always – some good storylines going into uh, the Maple Leaf Trot. So uh, here's another one with Hannah we over trying to beat the boys. I think she could do it, Mike.
3: We're going to skip the Milton elimination for three-year-old and upward Philly uh, Pacers. But it's going for a person. $35,000. And, of course, we've got to note that Sam between your toes. Venus, Delight, and Katie said are all in that race. Three Oak Philly Trotters take center stage in the ninth race. It's the Ellington Image Final for $436,000. And Mike Caprice Hill, three to five. It's Caprice Hill versus the world in this one.
2: Yeah, she's been very, very good I mean, high percentage winner, 14 of 20 She's won four in a row, she's done so by open lengths um, And uh, she gets the best post out of her last three races So it's going to uh, certainly be an uphill climb for this field To try to uh, get the job done But I will tell you something Emoticon Hanover is a horse, I think, that has put it together very nicely She's won three of her last five She was twice used last time, once to get a spot Then had to come first over and kind of flattened out on the stretch If Sylvan Phil- Leon can work out some kind of trip other than first over i think emoticon hanover might be an interesting play here uh, especially if you can get six to one or more but uh if she's got to come first over against seal obviously i think that's going to be a tough uphill climb but uh, if you're looking for a price maybe underneath or maybe even on top maybe you want to give emoticon hanover a look at
3: Race number 10 is the final uh, big state race of the night. It's a $687,000 Canadian trotting classic final for three-year-old trotters. And Marion Marauder, who goes for the trotting triple crown in a couple of weeks at Lexington, is back after a strong, dominant performance against Winter Harbor and Tony Soprano. Michael wasn't as impressed with that race uh, because of the fact it was just seemed like it was so easy. Southwind Frank, on the other hand, had a very, very tough uh, – Tough grinding effort, came home in twenty nine seconds off a of one fifty three and one mile and finished second to bar hopping who won an elimination of the Hamiltonian. This is going to be a very, very big action packed race. I think it's down to these three in this race.
2: Yeah, it certainly is, and I think you might want to give Weightlifter K an opportunity underneath here with the big three of Southwind Frank, Barhopping, and Marion Barada. You know, Weightlifter K, back on Hamiltonian day, closed home very sharp, not only in the limbs, but I thought raced pretty well in the final. Closing home 27-1 was a lot more up close in the finals of the Hambletonian than he was uh, back in the uh, eliminations. Then of course made a break in the colonial. So we really don't know what the source was going to do with the, in the colonial, even though post nine, then tried to leave in the Simcoe and uh, kind of give way a little bit. And then had a long first over grind last time and just uh, simply flattened out on the stretch. So obviously the trip has to go uh, weightlifter K's way, but, if this horse could wait off the trot a little bit and you get a little bit of early activity and you get a live cover flow, don't be surprised if weightlifter K for driver, Brian Sears can uh, make some noise in that particular race. But I think the one to beat in here is obviously Marion Marauder. I mean, we've seen Marion Marauder and Frank Franco at it all season with a little bit of a, a, a touch of bar hopping here and there who uh, got his revenge last week. If you're looking for the peaking horse, maybe bar hopping finally figured it out and put it all together last time. I don't know, but, uh, if you're wagering this race, I think uh, for a long shot underneath maybe the second and third spots, don't be afraid to throw the two in.
3: Well, Mike, where has this last hour and a half gone? That's, <laughs> I got to tell you, that uh, this has been this, this has been an emotional roller coaster ride. I mean, we went up, we went down, we went across, and uh, we ended it up, of course, with our Around the Horn segment. It's been a fantastic
5: show.
2: Yeah, it certainly has. And once again, special thanks to all of the people, uh, all of the the drivers and trainers and uh – you know, announcers and uh, and management and everybody that contributed to our 9/11 segment. I mean, it was uh, it was uh, great to put together. I'm not so sure how fun it was to put together because obviously we heard some uh, gut wrenching tales of uh, that terrible day. But uh, it was it was uh, very enlightening to put that together. And uh, special thanks to uh, John Boot and Shane for joining us. Roger Houston, uh, 50 years at the, the Delaware County Fairground, unbelievable. Yes, where time goes. Wow. Unbelievable. So uh, make sure you check out all the action coming up. Uh, Little Brown Drug Week is here. It's a celebration of harness racing. Mike Carter, you'll be there. And uh, real quick, yes, Mike. Yes, I will be live.
3: I- uh, I'll be live from the Little Brown Jug. I just don't know. Uh, you know, I, I don't know where I'll be or let's be looking for our periscopes. Uh, I'm going to periscope some of the races. I'm going to periscope the Little Brown Jug final from the infield at the Delaware Ohio County Fairgrounds. And uh, I know Mike Bozich is over there looking at his chops, just jealous as could be right now.
2: I just deleted the periscope app from my uh, iPad, by the way.
3: Well, I guess you're going to have to re-put it back
2: on there, Mike. Well, <laughs> maybe. If you pick me up a T-shirt, I will. How about that? If you give me a Roger Houston <laughs> shirt, then I'll think about putting Sounds Periscope good, up there. We we did uh, – by the way, Mike, and uh, I know we're running very short on time, uh, but uh, I think we made a bit of a boo-boo because we did, uh, we did kind of promo a big announcement last week that we were going to make on this week's show. Do you think we should put it off the next week?
3: Sorry, guys. You're going to have to wait until next week. Our big announcement <laughs> regarding some uh, some strong advertising is coming next week, and um, we're in the works. Actually, I'm waiting on a uh, quote from them now uh, as we speak. And, you know, okay. we're really excited to bring on a uh, brand-new partner, and it's uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. By the way, speaking of advertising, before we let everybody go, the Breeders' Crown is coming up in October. We will have advertising opportunities available. For more information,
2: visit PostPab with Mike and Mike dot com.
3: Well, Mike, I, uh, I, I, that's all I've got. Unless you've got something, uh, unless you've got something more.
2: Nope. I think we should close the show. Special thanks to everybody, the listeners uh, that make this possible, all of our sponsors, and obviously all of our guests. Uh, it'll be a great show next Thursday. We'll be a little brown jug after party. We're going to have a lot of reactions from after the brown jug. Of course, when our show goes on at seven, the little brown jug will be over with. So uh, we're going to have a lot of reactions. So hey. You've got your Little Brown Jug After Party coming up next week uh, here on Post Time with Mike and Mike, Mike. So it's going to be a, a lot of fun. That, that's right. The Little Brown
3: Jug After Party. You don't want to miss it. Coming up next week here on Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America. So, Mike Posich, I'm Mike Carter. Thanks so much for listening to us here tonight. We'll see you back next Thursday, first post, 7 o'clock. Good night.